Yes, welcome once again to For and Against, where we delve into the big issues in sport off the field of play. It's Paul Roach with you, as always, and joining me, as always, two very good friends and colleagues in the form of Simon Johnson. G'day, Jono. G'day, Roachy. Always good to see you. Mm. And uh, Stephen Riley. G'day, Riles. Hey, Paul. Hey, Simon. Hey, everyone. He doesn't seem as enthusiastic he, to see me as you were, Jono. I know. we just got to pump him and up a little bit, And coming from Melbourne, Stephen Riley. G'day, Riles. How are you going? <laughs> we're going to say it's been a tough day, but I am psyched to be here. That's I'm better. psyched to be And every time I start a show of four and against, I think, what a great day to be alive. Jeez. Yeah, bring it on, gentlemen. This, that's bring what I was after. On. That's what I was after. Really over again now. It's one extreme or the other with Stephen Riley. In the show ahead, we'll look at a couple of recent major deals in the world of sports broadcasting. Seismic for different reasons. We'll talk to an expert on the matter as well. Also, the Commonwealth Games is just around the corner. Exactly. Uh, And we'll also look ahead to the 2026 Football World Cup. We'll wrap up, as always, with Red Card, Yellow Card, where we take pleasure in reminding you of all the downright silly things perpetrated by our sports heroes and others. If you want to get us on social media, you'll find us on Twitter at for and against underscore and on Insta for dot and dot against. In both instances, that for is F-O-R, as in the for and against in a sports table. But for now, let's get into the show. A couple of jaw-dropping developments in the world of sports broadcast deals occurred in recent times. First up, the Indian Premier League rights went for a truly mind-bogglingly large sum, while the Major League Soccer went all in with Apple. The first such deal of any major sport where a fang company... Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, isn't it? Yeah, Fang. you got it. Yeah, you thank you. Uh, so we're, big tech. we're a fan company will be the go-to for all live matches anywhere in the world. We'll come to the uh, Major League Soccer deal a little later, but here's some numbers relating to the IPL transaction. So a grand total of $9 billion Aussie has been netted for the combined TV and digital rights with Disney-owned Star India and Viacom 18, which is a joint venture between Paramount Global and a local Indian media group, TV18. This, I believe, is triple the previous deal from only five years ago, John. I, I, I shudder to think what this will do for IPL player paydays and therefore international cricket around the world. Eye-watering numbers, aren't they, Rochi? It's just extraordinary. I think a single IPL match is now worth $22 million per throw. Going all right. Um, Steve, your initial reaction to that deal? Wow. Yeah, wow. I, to be honest, it was almost amazed as you figuring out who all the fang companies were. So good work for <laughs> you. I mean... I, and this, this from a guy that's still got a Hotmail address. Um, Absolutely. I think the big ripple effect on this is just for the world to see just how big a market India is and put a dollar figure to it. And when you look at cricket and the Indian diaspora around the world, this, this, is, this is not really um, an IPL deal. This is a world PL d- deal. Mm. So I, I think it's, it's the you know, beginning of something... Uh, Really quite interesting. Well, at this point, let's bring into the conversation Ritam Mitra, a, uh, a senior associate at law firm Webb Henderson, also part-time journalist with Indian Link, who's written extensively on this and indeed other sporting subjects. So, Ritam, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much for having me on, gents. So, Ritam, these are extraordinary numbers. An IPL game, as Jono said, is now, well, didn't directly say, but the numbers that Jono just spoke, it makes the an, an IPL game now the second most valuable sporting match on the planet behind an NFL game, there's a bit of a gap to NFL, but nonetheless, do you think, did you think, I should say, such a thing was possible when the IPL was founded back in 2007? Yeah, look, I think, as you three have said, the numbers are just mind-boggling, and I think I'd be lying if I said I expected it, and I think anyone who told you they expected it would be lying as well. 
from from my perspective anyway, I think there's two remarkable things about the deal. One is that the IPL is such a young sporting league. I mean, it's it's not even legal yet. It's it's been around 14 years. Um, you know, you wouldn't be able to drive a car, and yet it's been compared with the likes of the NFL, which has been around for over a century, and um, the EPL, which I think turned 30 last year. I think the other thing is that, you know, the NFL, the EPL, NBA, those kinds of leagues, they, they represent the pinnacle of their sports. And that's not something that you can say about the IPL, um, whether that's because I'm a purist and I think test cricket is the pinnacle, but I think that's, you know, probably a commonly um, held belief that the IPL is not the pinnacle of cricket. Mm. So, yeah, look, I think money alone, I think there's, there tends to be a bit of tall poppy syndrome when it comes to the BCCI. I think money alone isn't something to be alarmed about, but I think the bigger concern is... is um, what, what we're, I'm sure we're about to speak about, which is, you know, the BCCI's demands for a two-and-a-half-month window for the IPL. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, Ritam. I mean, it, it is, you know, particularly interesting when it comes to the scheduling issue, isn't it? I mean, as I understand it, up until now with the um, IPL, it was either six weeks or eight weeks that was carved out for the schedule. But as you as you foreshadowed, it looks like the BCCI are going to insist on a two-and-a-half-month window every year for the IPL, and that's extraordinary. And that'll mean that what the rest of the cricket calendar, the tests, the one-dayers, all the other domestic leagues just have to be jammed into nine months. It's a big change. Exactly right. Um, you've hit the nail on the head there. You know, the Future Tours program, which is sort of the ICC's scheduling of international matches, to my knowledge, they've never sort of formally carved out domestic tournaments. You'll see that over the last few years, there's been somewhat of a window in there for IPL in that April-May period. Um, but as we know, you know, some teams have to play in that window anyway, like South Africa did recently. And what then happens is that you obviously end up with players having to pick and choose whether they want to go and earn millions in the IPL or if they play for their countries earning probably not that much. So I think you know, carving out a window is good in the sense that it will prevent those kinds of dilemmas. But I think it's critical that there's a balance struck. As you say, Simon, sort of six to eight weeks, maybe maybe around closer to the six-week mark makes sense to me um, to prevent those issues. But, you know, if, if you carve out a two-and-a-half-month window, we're talking, you know, once you take holidays and everything into consideration, we're talking about nine months of cricket, international cricket in the year. And I think, you know, what you'll end up seeing is stuff that we've already heard about, which is, you know, players will, you know, probably not play in non-marquee series as often. So I think it's going to be... Very unlikely in the future that we'll see a full-strength Aussie or Indian side taking on a West Indies or a Bangladesh. That's already happening with the Associate Nations, and we know it's been happening for a while. Um, you know, India's fielding a largely second-string side right now against Ireland while the Test players get ready for England. And so I think there's two other things to note here, which is that the first thing the ICC will compromise on is Test cricket. Um, there is no secret about that. The ICC chair has pretty much said that that is what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um and we're going to see less test cricket beyond the sort of marquee matches like the, you know, Border Gavaskar Trophy or the Ashes. Uh, and we might see, start seeing more four-day tests. Um, the, the interesting consequence of all of this that no one really seems to be grappling with, at least in public, is the impact on the revenues of other cricketing boards. So just like the BCCI, you know, Cricket Australia, uh, you know, Cricket South Africa, they're all reliant on broadcasting revenue, but it's hard to sell lower quality cricket for top dollar. You know, you just think about what, Channel 7 and Cricket Australia went through two summers ago hmm. um, and how bad that relationship got when, you know, 7 thought they got stiffed, which I thought was ridiculous, to be honest. I think they missed the mark on that occasion. But, you know, if I'm advising a licensee today, I'd be trying to negotiate clawback rights if if the best players aren't playing. I don't want to pay full licence fees if, you know, the top six players from a country are not playing an international. But, Tim, I think you're being incredibly optimistic. 
I think two and a half months is just the beginning. You know, the NBA goes for six months. The, the, the Major League Baseball, even, you know, more like eight months. You know, even the NFL, which probably has the shortest, you know, season of, of any, you know, major sport in the in the world with sort of, you know, 16 matches, 16, 17 matches in a season, which they've extended in recent years, you know, takes place over, what, you know, sort of five months. I think thinking that this is going to stay a two-and-a-half-month window is uh, is just not realistic. But I think everything else you said is bang on, right? It's it's going to start reaching into the areas that don't pay their way. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a slippery slope for sure. I think, I think you know, as we say, you know, the NBA, NFL, they are still the best of their sport, so people will want longer windows there. I don't know that the majority of the cricket population necessarily wants to see more IPL and less international cricket. Obviously, the biggest fan base is in India, and they would love to see as much cricket there as possible, and obviously as much Indian cricket as possible. That said, I would have still thought and hoped, maybe you know, a bit idyllically, that most Indian fans will still want to see a lot of international cricket being played because that that is you know that is the heart of the game. The IPL is not the heart of the game. As as cricket fans, we tend to think of ourselves a bit bit sort of traditionally. Um, you know, it's it's. It's the game that was played 150 years ago, and that's the game that should continue. But you're right, we shouldn't expect that it would stop at two and a half months. But this is the inflection point, isn't it? Because cricket is now moving, it seems to be moving from a situation where the international games were the bee's knees, and you had some basic support, both from the administrators and from the crowds, at a domestic level. BBL is probably one of the first domestic short-form games that sort of got a bit of attention. And now IPL is obviously dramatically built on that. And so suddenly we're in a situation where domestic leagues are becoming relevant and becoming arguably dominant. I mean, I, I don't know numbers off the top of my head, but I'm guessing BBL is, a, is quite a money spinner for, for cricket as well. And clearly IPL is, t- is taking on that role as well. So I think we're at an, in, an interesting inflection point between uh, for, for the game of cricket, where it's moving from this international is all there is to where domestic leagues are starting to have a life of their own, such as football, soccer. Where you do have domestic leagues that are that are dominant and very important, and in the international scene can sometimes World Cups accepted become the second second sort of string uh, offering, if you like. I mean, that's more of a statement than a question, but I think that's the challenge that the cricket administrators have at the moment is to manage that inflection point. Yeah, look, I think I think the the most the most important thing here will be what the ICC does to protect mm-hmm. those other leagues. If the ICC is going to carve out a two-and-a-half, three-month window for the IPL, that, that makes it tougher for the other leagues to find their own windows in amongst all of their scheduling commitments as well. Now, on the one hand, it doesn't really matter if it's a, you know, if it's a domestic league because you'll always find enough domestic players, but in order to build a viable and valuable product, you need international players to be available, not just from other countries, but from your own country. There's a reason we don't see Aussie players playing in the Big Bash um, much because they're playing internationals at the time. India don't have that problem. Indian players are available the entire IPL window. So, you know, while it's all well and good to say that domestic tournaments are rising, I would be concerned, you know, to assume that all of the domestic tournaments will continue in the way they are today um, in terms of both their value and their duration, um, because I think this deal and the slippery slope we discussed has the potential to to send them down a slippery, you know, value chain as well. Rutan, one of the um, the other things I found interesting about this deal, just sort of digging into it a little bit more, was the fact that I saw that the streaming and the digital rights were actually sold for more than the, the TV rights, which seems to demonstrate the, the value and the p- potential scale for streaming in a market like India. Is that 
I mean, to your knowledge, is that becoming more of a trend when people are negotiating these sort of rights, that the, the digital and streaming rights are the more valuable of the two? Yeah, look, I, to, to my knowledge, with, with this deal in particular, it was interesting that I think they were close in value at least. I think they were sort of, I don't know, 23 crores here, 24 crores there or something. So it, was, it wasn't a huge difference, but you're right that, you know, as consumers, we place value on on-demand on streaming wherever we wherever we are, right? We do that with with Netflix, with on-demand content. And, you know, why should live sport be any different? It is incredibly valuable because we can watch it on any device anywhere. So, um, look, uh, we, we touched on the MLS deal at the start of the segment, and I think that is a real example of the fact that these types of rights, and, you know, not just these types of rights, but the types of players acquiring those rights are happy to pay more or, or are more valuable to broadcasters both sort of traditional broadcasters who have expanded into the streaming sector and and you know, new players like your um, Apples and Googles. Tam, how... Let's, let's gaze into the crystal ball a little bit. I, I think there's an argument that says this was a... This is a, a lucky window. The streaming services are desperate for content. We've had Amazon kick in, you know, gazillions of dollars for, you know, NFL, I think just on a Thursday night. Mm. You know, we've got you know, a whole lot of, of streaming businesses looking for differentiation, looking for content in Australia, Stan's getting into it, Paramount Plus is getting into it, using sport as the as the wedge. Is there an argument that test cricket, because I think, you know, you're with like minds on this <laughs> podcast anyway about the, the traditional game being the best, is the, the right strategy for test cricket to stick to its guns, hold the line, maintain the tradition, maintain the five days and say, look, this will endure. We keep feeding the grassroots, keep bringing the talent through. It may or may not be the same as the one gets that gets paid a lot in the IPL. And the IPL has this window where they make as much money as they can. And one day someone will explain the easy way to translate crawl for me, but I'll, uh, I'll skip that for a second. <laughs> and 10,000, I think, but I've never added up in my... 10 million rupees. There you go. 10 million. That's, that's, you know, what's, what's three figures between friends? Um, <laughs> is the strategy that Test Cricket has to hang in there and let IPL have its day and pay for everything? Or, you know, is, there, is more drastic action required for Test Cricket? Yeah, look, if, if I was chasing money, I'd say bugger off Test Cricket don't want to ever see you again because most broadcasters and you know boards lose money on it it costs a lot to produce sport sport in general doesn't make a lot of margin for broadcasters so test cricket is just a you know a no-brainer to get rid of if you just want money mm. that's not why we play and watch sport i think you know my personal opinion is as, as a cricket fan we should be scrapping all bilateral t20 internationals get rid of them have the window for the ipl have the window for the domestic big bash etc and if the bcci is going to enjoy that window I think there should be a lot more transparency on how they distribute revenues from that window to the other ICC members and obviously more commitment to do so. I think, you know, in the, in the same way here when, when NBN was incorporated, you know, they had to pay disconnection payments to Telstra and Optus. Okay, well, if, if the IPL is going to take away other boards' opportunities to earn revenue um, by getting a window for their domestic tournament, they should be paying, you know, payments to, to those other ICC members. Once you do that, I think you free up enough room for test cricket. It might be that you might have to have some more four-day cricket, but I think the way test cricket's going now, that's more viable. Um, if you look at the way Johnny Bairstow's batting, the way David Warner is batting as well, I mean, it's pretty viable in that sense. But I think getting rid of test cricket, is it, it could kill the game um, that, that we know. Um, cricket will be around forever, but it might not look the way we want it to look. 
The English certainly did a good job against New Zealand recently to make Test cricket look like uh, limited overs cricket, uh, scoring at a great rate of knots. But I, I, look, I want to leave cricket there because I do want to talk about the MLS deal and the new ground they are breaking there. As, as I said at the top, it's not just in partnering with Apple. I mean, Apple, as we've sort of alluded to here already, is, for example, cherry-picked a few Major League Baseball games to show. But that Apple has secured all the broadcast rights worldwide to all these MLS games for the next 10 years for about 2.5 US bill, by the way, which is certainly on the low side for US sport and indeed a number of other leagues around the world. But that's that's not the point here. It's that they've gone all in on streaming for a, a big enough league to be significant. And for 10 years, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is quite a, a vanguard kind of deal, is it not, for, as I say, a major league and not just in the American context, um, going so big on relying so heavily on streaming? Yeah, 100%. Look, I, th- I think it's probably just the latest example in an ongoing evolution started with obviously cable tv where they bundled everything up and made you get a whole you know acquire a whole lot of channels that you didn't want to watch in order to watch sport um you had to get news and entertainment and in the last few years telcos came along and they had their own different kinds of bundles which is they bundled sports subscriptions with mobile broadband or fixed line home broadband now telcos have sort of taken a bit of market share in the last few years we've obviously seen optus take the epl um, here in australia in new zealand spark sport took the rugby world cup off sky but they're you know those traditional broadcasters have caught up a bit um they've launched their own streaming platforms and you know you've spoken about paramount plus stan sport ko as well they're all sort of claiming back market share and now what's happening is actually, you know, the big tech, you know, sort of hyperscalers are coming into this market with big, big pockets of cash and, you know, huge economies of scale. And they're basically, they're almost a no-brainer as a rights holder because they've got huge reach and they can pay through the nose. And as a rights holder, well, that's all I want. I want distribution and reach and I want money. The um, Perhaps another thing on the MLS uh, rights deal, which I thought was interesting, um, it makes sense, I guess, when the US are going to be hosting the World Cup in 2026. So mm. you'd imagine they'll get some kind of sugar hit as a result of that. Good and point. also, I mean, the MLS, as I understand it, has a much younger support base um, than some of the other sports over in the US, like baseball and NFL. And so probably makes sense for a streaming platform to be particularly interested there. So maybe a smart business deal on both sides. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. I think um, in the context of the MLB deal, um, one of the MLB's CX level, I think the chief revenue officer, he was talking about the fact that, you know, they've had to grapple with what they call cord cutters and uh, and cord nevers. So cord cutters are people who have started switching off their cable subscriptions because they don't want to pay for those expensive bundles anymore at 100 bucks a month because they don't actually need most of the content. And cord nevers are, as you say, this younger generation who have never actually paid for cable TV and probably never will. And, you know, in order to actually maximise reach, you know, previously there used to be a bit more of a tension um, when it came to putting things onto, onto OTT platforms because, you know, five, 10 years ago, not everyone had a high-speed broadband connection. Um, now, pretty much most people do, or at least most people that are, you know, the target audiences for for deals like this. And so it becomes more viable to just put things onto streaming platforms entirely and not actually lose much viewer base. I think the other the other thing to bear in mind and you know speaking about young audiences, especially in the US, is we've seen what Drive to Survive has done for F1 in the US. And now if I'm Apple, you know, acquiring the MLS rights, I'm probably Mm-hmm. If I was them, I'd be looking to make a similar doc- documentary about MLS and follow, you know, the managers around, get David Beckham in for a week, like just just try and, you know, do exactly what Formula One has done. I think the ATP is doing something similar 
and all of a sudden, you know, sport actually starts becoming value accretive rather than just something you have to have to get people to pay for other things. Hmm. So I think there's a lot of potential there. I really hope you're right that they've got Beckham in the deal because if they don't, I think it's the dumbest deal in history <laughs> in Major League Soccer. Major League Soccer has landed a windfall. It, to me, I, and I'm wondering if Major, and what I'd like to ask you, Ritam, is whether Major League Soccer chose the right dance partner here because... And I'm just enjoying calling it soccer as well. It just annoys Paul every time I call it <laughs> soccer, not football. MLS stands for soccer. So go for it. Yeah. So Apple TV has made its name by actually going highbrow, by going for the more thoughtful sort of product. They've only got 100, 120 shows that they actually have on their streaming service at this point. They are making noises about getting into Major League Baseball, you know, trying to get into some of the other sports. The chances of them actually bringing viewers to Major League Soccer is pretty slim, I reckon, if, if there were other streaming services in the mix. Do you think that MLS chose the right rain going with Apple? Look, it's an interesting question. I think, to me, it goes back to what is the reach of Apple compared with you know other licensees and also other groups of licensees. I think back to before the last five years, maybe maybe in you know so the early 2000s, I don't know about you guys, but there were so many times that I couldn't find a sport that was licensed in Australia. Um, it might have been cricket or it might have been something a bit more obscure and no one had bothered licensing it in the country. Now, that might have just been because the rights holder didn't bother or because they were just going to charge too much and no one wanted to pay. But when you talk about companies like Apple and Amazon, which are pretty much ubiquitous in our day-to-day life, now a rights holder can, you know, like, like the MLS can go to Apple and say, well, you know, and I think the Apple deal is global, right? So they can, they can say anywhere that you can you know, put put this content up, you've mm. got it. We don't want to negotiate with 40 or 50 licensees. We're just going to negotiate with Apple. Mm. And Apple goes and distributes it, you know, to, I think, 120 countries or something like that. Yeah, there's obviously, you know, as you say, how, how does that work in especially emerging economies and, and you know, just countries like that? But I don't think, it, you know, it's not an exclusive deal. They can still partner with local broadcasters. Um, you know, I don't know if maybe somewhere like Brazil would be, you know, more viable to just go with a local broadcaster with, with a huge sort of population there that will follow the MLS. So, you know, I, I think I think they they had to have a crack. I, I imagine the kind of money that Apple is giving, you know, it's going to be one of the hyperscalers that all well, the big tech companies that give that kind of money. But there is a benefit to going with a global company in that sense. There's a there's a new word for us, folks. Hyperscale, hyperscalers. I like it. Yeah, I'm not sure I've heard that one before, Tam. It's uh, it's a good concept. I think we all I understand. It off my boss as well. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Nice little giving of credit there, just at the end. Uh, Ritam, look, thanks very much for your time. We'll, we'll we'll leave it there. But I suspect as as this evolves, as it eventually does, or this industry evolves over the next decade or two we we must talk again sometimes so i really appreciate your time thanks for being on the show thanks very much gents long live test cricket hey thanks <laughs> amen indeed uh Ritam mitra there joining us from the law firm webb henderson also part-time journalist with indian link and uh, something tells me the next ipl deal in another five years time will be just as staggering On to the shootout now where we cover a couple of topics uh, in rather quicker fashion. Commonwealth Games. Did you know that Commonwealth Games was coming up? Really? Or maybe it's on by the time you listen to this or maybe it's happened. Who knows? Commonwealth Games. Yeah, we need probably a little bit more, I don't know, oomph around it, a little bit more PR. Mm. I think this is the real reason Ariana Titmus didn't go to the Worlds. She was saving herself to compete against the Empire's best. Clearly, yeah. Com Games. Rich tradition, Com Games. Indeed. So, pop quiz, and Steve, I'll throw this one to you first. What city was originally chosen to host 
the 2022 Commonwealth Games. Chosen in 2015, only to be stripped a couple of years later due to financial concerns, considerations, limitations. Any idea? Oh, I have absolutely zero idea. And it's and, and I'm not sure that I have actually as much interest. Mm. Um, John less than zero. No, I'll tell you, me. Tell I'll let you chime well, in at this point. Me. Obviously, what it was Gold Coast last time around, wasn't Correct. it? Correct. So, no, I've got nothing. Yeah, Durban. 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 Wow. They were going the African option. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah. it didn't work out. But look, Steve, uh, point taken about your interest levels. This will pick you up a bit because, of course, the main interest in any games, be they Olympic or Commonwealth, is what the Aussie team uniforms are and, in particular, what they'll wear into the stadium for the opening ceremony. So I'm very happy to report a most welcome development for Birmingham 2022 no more boat shoes oh. as part of the uniform. A staple no. of Gold Coast 2018 clobber. Despite no boat shoes, actually, sorry, no boats, I should say, being part of the Commonwealth Games, this time around, R.M. William boots have come in to take their place. It's a very um, traditional outfit. Have you had a look at the pictures, Rochi? I mean, yeah, and of I, can I just kick this off by saying I am incredibly pleased that we are talking fashion again. It mm. has been a long time. Yeah, I know. This is our 101st show, obviously, and we have a rich tradition of talking talking fashion. But yeah, look, it's a, a fairly formal outfit blazers, ties, collared shirts, and R.M. William's boots. Mm. I like it. Still a little bit private school, I saw it called, uh, relative bit. to some other nations' outfits. I didn't mind the the boat shoes from four years ago. I must say, I mean, you know my position you know. on boat shoes. The boat shoes yeah. are wearing on boats. Well, the good thing about the Commonwealth Games uh, entrance outfit is that it can double up and be used for the lawn bowls too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear, this yeah, is true. I mean, there, there've been some you know successes and failures when it comes to. Um, uniforms over the years. So mm-hmm. yeah, no doubt you've got some favourites, Rochi, and we've probably mentioned them in, in shows gone by. But, you know, the Dryzer Bones from uh, Seoul 88 were um, probably wow. a low, I, I think. Oh, really? What's wrong with the Dryzer? Oh, I didn't think it was particularly good. And then the Pruactin design, but Ken Doan style 1984 LA Olympics outfits. Do you remember those? You they are picking on the perfect. 80s. I mean, the 80s is a, a different time in the fashion industry, the fashion world. It was tough. And uh, look, I, I just love the perennial difficulty that designers and fashion types keep telling us that they, they have when working with green and gold. Green and gold, tough colours. Mm. Yeah, tough colours to get right. Apparently the Aaron Williams boots, they have little green and gold, what do you call those things, tugs or whatever. Pull tags. Thank you, pull tags. Pull tags, there you go. I think. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I knew I hadn't quite hit the right word there. Steve-O? You know, it, it's interesting that you know, Simon there was lamenting some of the previous outfits, but I tell you what, he knew all the brand names and that was all of that, that all that those designers were looking for. So uh, even though they've earned the ire of Simon Johnson in 2022, I suspect at the time he was absolutely on board. It's a pretty good point. It's really the only good thing about the Australian winter, long nights of sport coming out of Europe. Now, host cities were announced recently for the 2026 Football World Cup in North America. Canada, US and Mexico all uh, being in the mix there. A couple of perhaps notable omissions, Washington DC perhaps being one of them, but the most glaring gap was the failure to nominate a host city for the final, Steve-O, you were pointing out to us. So why would that be? Usually when you announce the, the host country for a World Cup, it's in blazing lights that the final will be held in this particularly amazing stadium. And it is, as you say, glaringly obvious by its absence where they're going to play the final. Are they going to play it? Uh, they can't play it at the Rose Bowl because uh, LA isn't on the dance card. What's wrong with LA? The Rose Bowl. It's not. It's not one of the cities. Oh, you're sorry. I was. I was thinking. I looked at the the oh, long list. You know, I'm wrong about that. I'm wrong. They, they've gone for SoFi 
the uh, stadium instead. So it's just the Rose Bowl's just out of the rotation. Yep. But the, the big thing that I think is going on is that the USA and Mexico are having a really, you know, old-fashioned debate about where it should be held because Mexico City has hosted the World Cup twice and the final twice. Mm. So surely has a pretty good claim to being where it should play and the Americans wanted to keep that quiet while they were basking in the glory of, of getting the right. Surely Ottawa's got a big stadium that they get the Canadian Jews. Why aren't they in the <laughs> why aren't they in the picture? Toronto. Toronto. Surely when it comes down to money though, the US is gonna win that debate, Ralph. I mean, Mexico may have had it twice, probably got a much richer footballing history, but it's going to be in the US, the final. Well, can I just jump in there, sorry, Riles, that I think it was FIFA themselves who are on record as saying that capacity will be first and foremost amongst their considerations. So I, I don't know off the top of my head what the uh, Aztec Stadium might be able to, to hold, but sorry, Steve-O. Uh, I'm very tempted to cast some general aspersions about safety protocols and say it could hmm. hold more than the other stadiums. But the big thing that might make Mexico work, Simon, is that the time zone is going to be the same. So they can still get the TV ratings, and you know, as we've just heard early in the show, that's where the money is. Mm, fair enough. All right, well, we shall wait and see uh, the Super Bowlification of the host city of the final of the 2026 Soccer World Cup. On to red card, yellow card, where, uh, yes, we enjoy poking fun at sporting types who have erred off the field of play. Steve-O, what do you got for us, mate? I have got the amazing, the wonderful Camilla Cabello who I'm sure you know incredibly well, Paul. No. And Jono Jono doesn't seem to either. He's usually across this stuff. You you don't know Jono? Camillo Cabello. Do tell. Tell us. Yeah, yeah. Singer extraordinaire. She's – I I think she came out of the the reality uh, singing shows, uh, has had a a couple of movies – Certainly a big, big star. Have and we just stopped being her... a sports show and I didn't notice? We know Riles' views about reality TV. Go on, Steve. Just give me a sec. Well, yeah, just patience. Patience. <laughs> so she was singing at the Champions League final. There you go. There's the link. <gasps> ah. All right? We're into the sporting field and we're off the field to play. Well, love it. it's on the field to play. That's where she was performing, but it wasn't while they were playing. So I think it still it's, qualifies. It's neutralised at half-time. Yeah. Thanks so much. Anyway, she got booed by the crowd. In fact, the crowd was so disinterested in uh, her performance that they started singing the team's anthems of the oh, two teams no. in the final. <laughs> Unfortunately, Camilla didn't quite actually realise what was going on, came off, you know, posted on social media how disrespectful it was to all the people who had worked so hard to put the uh, the show together. And then I think someone pointed out, actually, they were there to watch the football. Mm. And, yeah, so great big nomination for Red Card. Right up there. Going red. Okay. Right up there with meatloaf when it comes to either halftime or pregame performances. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah, just a tin ear. We're not if you actually you just happen to be shipped in at the halftime by the organisers. Okay, yep, fair enough. So you're going red. That's I think it's a bit harsh, but alrighty. Jono, what about yourself, mate? Uh, Reggie, I've gone the uh, world of Formula One, which is somewhat ironic for me. Formula um, One? What have so, I missed? Well, this is a bit of a tough one. It's it's not, not pleasant, but I think it's worthy of a mention. So Nelson Piquet, uh, former F1 legend, has found himself in a firestorm of controversy of his own making. Apparently gave an interview on Brazilian TV last year in which he referred to Lewis Hamilton with a racial slur starting with the letter N. Mm. And the interview has only resurfaced recently and it's created a, you know, a massive firestorm of controversy. 
Lewis himself is obviously a huge campaigner against racism in sport mm. and generally. And there's talk about the F1 considering a, a lifetime ban for Nelson. But what makes this story even more of a tangled web is that Nelson's daughter, Kelly Piquet, is dating Lewis's big rival, Max Verstappen. Oh, so wow. I imagine this will actually make things even more spicy in pit lane between Max and Lewis. Oh, of course. Oh, so wow. clear red, straight red for Nelson, probably a lifetime red, I think. Mm. Absolutely. But I think we've got to just call out Paul there getting sucked into the uh, into the romance. You know, it's like he's more interested in the reality TV shows surrounding the sport than the actual sport, which we can understand when it comes to F1. Yeah, no, I think the fact yeah. that I've been to 15 Grand Prix, including eight overseas, Riles puts paid to that comment. I was just um, amazed that I of that connection, and I kind of forgotten that connection. Is uh, but uh, yeah, that's uh, it adds some complexity. Yeah, look, I was reading some commentary that um, Nelson's never sort of been quite revered like some of the other three times champions, and I think maybe he's just a bit sort of bitter and twisted. I'm not going to – I don't say those words. But anyway, this is all getting a bit heavy for red card, yellow card. But mine uh, hopefully gets a little better. Peter Volandis, uh, that rough-and-tumble good-time guy over at Rugby League headquarters, seems to be uh, in empire-building mode, uh, not content with completely overshadowing, to my mind, his CEO, Andrew Abdo. You certainly see uh, Volandis in the media a lot more than Abdo. Maybe that's why he likes it. The chair of the ARLC, the Australian Rugby League Commission, has stuck his hand up or at least put it forward quite forcefully, I think, really, to the effect that he should be on the selection committee for the national side. Wow. Indeed, he has been selected selected for the selectors and been made chairman of the selectors. How ridiculous. Alongside Origin coach Brad Fittler and um, Jonathan Thurston and also Mel Meninga's there. Now, this is, of course, for the delayed World Cup, uh, Rugby League World Cup happening in England later this year. Kangaroo team. So, uh, nice overreach there, Pete. No better way for a sports administrator to endear himself to players and coaches by saying that they know best about how to play the game as well as run the game. So, I'm giving Peter at least a yellow. Steve's dying to say his piece here. Yeah, absolutely, at least a yellow. You know, when people talk about the global rise of authoritarianism... <laughs> Yeah, I think Peter just wanted a Guernsey. That's all. <laughs> just wanted a Guernsey. Perhaps up with his heroes. I'll leave it at that. Uh, yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with just a yellow. I think we've dished out a few too many hard cards, red cards. So in the interest of diversity, I'm just going to go a yellow there for Pete. But yeah, good on you, Peter. Love, love your work. Thanks very much. Uh, so that brings an end to red card, yellow card, and therefore an end to the show. So uh, thanks very much for, for listening again to For and Against, and it's goodbye to Stephen Riley. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that I can't use my professional voice to sign off. I've got to be really excited and say that was one of the best shows ever, gentlemen. I loved it. It was brilliant. Let's do it again. I, I propose we do it again in about two weeks. I'll, uh, you, you're on. Uh, goodbye to you, Jono. Quick air goodbye from me, Richie. See you, mate. <laughs> Thanks, mate. That's all. That's all we need. And don't forget to get us on the socials: Twitter at four and against underscore, and on Insta four dot and dot against. As Steve said, we will do it all again in two weeks' time. Until then, it's goodbye from me, Paul Roach. We'll see you then. Bye now.